Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name's Carrie. My name's Aaron. All right. My name's Dean. Hi, Dean. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi. Do you want to have some intro banter? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I know how much you love it. <laughs> well, so, Dean, you gonna, what are you going to tell us about today? Talking about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs that died off 65 million years ago, as we all know, right? You all taught that in school, weren't you? Um, I don't remember how remember, many millions a meteor of years. the Yucatan Peninsula. Boom, dinosaurs are all gone. Yes. Yeah. I do recall that part. Okay. Well, Except for birds. Well. Yes, that's true. And gigantic lizards that look, like dra- that look like dinosaurs. That's true. Only dinosaurs as birds remain alive. Lizards are not dinosaurs. Alligators and crocodiles look dinosaur-like. But they're not. I'm sorry to inform you. No matter how much you insist they look like them, they're not. Mm-hmm. Who knows for sure? Uh, scientists. Paleontologists. <laughs> 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 All of them. But if it's true, Carrie, that dinosaurs were extinct 65 million years ago, try to explain this story, will you? It's 1919. Someone named Mr. LePage told a local museum director in Fungarumi, that's in the, what was then the Belgian Congo, oh. of this amazing adventure. He's out hunting. He ran into a massive creature that immediately charged him. LePage took a shot, as, as you would, and he fled. The beast pursued him. Ooh. But LePage had apparently more staying power because apparently the beast eventually just let up let him go, went back to his business. When he was a safe distance away, LePage turned back and looked with his binoculars and was astonished to see that the creature that had been chasing him was about 24 feet long with a pointed snout topped by two tusks, possibly horns, and another short horn over the nostril. Wait, he didn't see this huge beast when he shot at it? Saw something big in the bush, took a shot. That's how you do it when you're a white guy in Africa in 1919. So yeah, it was like... sounds about white. Yeah. Covered by shrubbery. I don't know. Okay. Ooh. Big, and, tall shrubbery. But apparently so. Okay. It had horse teeth and cloven hooves and a big scaly hump over its shoulder. Later, LePage heard it rampage through the town of the village of Fungarumi and destroyed all the hutching huts and killed several villagers. Goodness. Also, if dinosaurs no longer exist, you naysayers, how would you explain the story of Mr. Gapel? He was returning to Belgium from darkest Africa. I'm sorry, Mr. Gapel told this story when he got back to Belgium from the dark continent. He, while he was in Africa, had spotted the tracks Wait, of something. That sounds racist. It's Yay! an old saying, Carrie. It was purposeful. It's mm. a, they used to call it the darkest, the dark continent. You don't, you never heard that? It's very sunny compared to yeah. what we call Europe the dark yeah. continent. I, I didn't make up that term. We don't have to continue so you, know. you don't have to continue it. Okay. Yeah. It was sort of a. Never mind. Called okay. the fun continent. <laughs> fun continent. Yeah. 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 Okay. The village was called Fungarumi. Ooh. That's true. That's true. That's a, well, that's a great point. That's a sound logic. Thanks. Case in point. Capel had spotted the tracks of something he could not identify, and he followed them for 12 miles. Wow. Finally caught up with it. That's a lot of miles. Saw, what? That's a lot of miles. Yeah, it is. 12. On foot? Of course. That's how you got around Africa. A scooter. 
<laughs> he had a Vespa, <laughs> yeah. a swamp of Vespa. I don't know. What he saw ahead of him, though, was a, sort of a rhinoceros-like creature, but not. It had scales instead of skin. It had a thick, powerful tail, a horn on its snout, and a humped back. Again, sounds familiar. It does. Gepel naturally shot at the creature, but it <laughs> retreated into a nearby swamp and got away. So I ask you, if dinosaurs don't exist, how do you explain these stories of Mr. Lepage and Mr. Gepel? Because they, I say to you, saw living dinosaurs in Africa. Drugs. Yeah. <sighs> Do they have psychedelics? Yeah, Peyote Rome and the African Belgian Congo. You don't get all high. What's that? What? Peyote in Africa? What's that other? That I say it like uh, ayahuasca. John yeah, ayahuasca. Peyote in. No. Ketamine. It was not ayahuasca. Oscar or ketamine. It was a living dinosaur. Mm, but the dinosaur's tales in Africa go back a little further. Yeah, to the like Triassic. Well, even, but later than that, <laughs> but further than 1919. Mm. The most famous African supposed living dinosaur is the Mokeli Mbembe. Ooh. It means the one who stops the flow of rivers, mm. which is pretty efficient for just for syllables. That's I a think. really good like birth control like name or something. Mokeli Mbembe is a birth control name. Yes, yeah, like the one, or they should name that for like a, a, um, a vasectomy procedure. Mm. They should name it the Mokeli no. Mbembe, one no. who stops the vast difference of rivers. I <laughs> couldn't disagree more. That story all started in 1909. Carl Hagenbeck, he was a famed wildlife hunter and, and really a kind of a gatherer. He'd gather things for zoos and exhibits back in Europe. He'd gather, gather all these then exotic animals from Africa. And he traveled throughout Africa extensively. In his 1909 autobiography called Beast and Men, Hagenbeck claimed that two different sources had told him there was a creature like a, quote, half-elephant, half-dragon living in Rhodesia, which is now, anyone, anyone? Congo. Zimbabwe. Very close. You're <laughs> sort of. A naturalist named Joseph Menges, who was active in the area, he told Hagenbeck that he had also heard such stories and thought it must be some kind of living dinosaur, quote, seemingly akin to the Brontosaurus. Mm-hmm. Hans Schombark. He was a German big game hunter, and he also made wildlife films. He told Hagenbeck that when he had been traveling around Lake Benguele, I'm sorry, <laughs> I mailed that. When he had been traveling around Lake Benguelu, I think. I'm sure that's exactly it. I would not know. <laughs> it's the, it was in this kind of in the middle of a huge rainforest water basin in what's now Zambia. He noticed there were no hippos in a certain area. Schomburg did, right? So he asked his native guides. And Suspicious lack of hippos <laughs> is, in this is, area. Seriously, there's, there really I too notice that in our local area. <laughs> there's a suspicious lack of hippos. It's odd there's no hippos along mm-hmm. the American River. The, he figured, so, so he asked the local guides, and the guides say, um, oh yeah, there's a creature here in this part of the lake that kills hippos, so they don't come here anymore. Oh, there you have it. We're done? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hard evidence. Let's songs. wrap it up. Where can you yeah. reach us? Yet another German, a guy named Paul Gratz. Who's Wait, sort can of, I ask you a question? Yeah. Do hippos have natural predators? No. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's okay. my case. Gary has proven her point. <laughs> she doesn't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Arteriosclerosis is their <laughs> yeah. top, top 
Okay. Right, right. They smoke a lot. Hippos do smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's one of their main vices. Yeah, it is. They, this guy, Paul Gratz, was sort of a German adventurer. He reported in 1911 that he said much of Lake Benguele was also free of crocodiles. And that was because of the insanga. This was a creature, he said, that the natives were terrified of. They described it as something sort of crocodile-like, but with smooth skin and toes with claws. Grotz took it to be some kind of a saurian dinosaur, and he went hunting for it, but all he found was some strips of skin that locals alleged were the skin of an insanga. He found those on an island in the middle of Lake Banguelu. Banguelu. Hmm. I'm going to pronounce it different every time. Okay. Grotz then went home, and he bragged about his trip in Africa, right? And he essentially implied that he had, was the first Westerner to ever be in the whole Lake Banguelu area. He had you know, blazed all these trails. So some folks who had been there for years uh, wrote to a colonial newspaper and said, uh, no, you know, I, I personally, the writer, lived there for years, and I hung out with the other Europeans all the time, and there are dozens of Europeans have been traipsing about Lake Banguelu for years, so you're a dick. So he didn't. He had a little bit of a credibility problem. Still, he was another European, because that's all we can trust, who had Obviously. said they'd seen a dinosaur in Africa or something like a dinosaur. Well, did any of those many Europeans who lived in Lake Benguelo area for years corroborate? I'm going to say no. The stories of the, what is it called? I don't the have insanga? access to their journals, so I don't know <laughs> for a fact, but I'm going to say no. Otherwise, they probably would have mentioned that. Huh, okay. You, typically, you mention if you saw a dinosaur in Africa. I think you go Dear ahead. Your diary. Gonna... <laughs> Today, Rebecca talked to me. Also, I saw a dinosaur. Well, they might not have characterized it as a dinosaur. Right? Okay, okay. Is this going to happen the entire time? <laughs> but these, uh, well, your story is full of holes. In a short time, these stories kind of got back to the European and North American press, and they became the sense that there was something at least dinosauric living and alive right now in Africa, and it became a huge media sensation, covered all over the world. The Washington Post, in fact, in 1911, had a headline that said, Brontosaurus still lives. And by about this time, they were appearing almost semi-regularly in newspapers. They were just, oh, hey, a dinosaur is spotted, or there might be dinosaurs in Africa. It became a big deal. It became kind of a thing. In 1913, a German army captain named Ludwig Freiherr von Stein zu Lasnitz, (laughs) didn't make that up, was surveying the German colony of Cameroon. Yes, I said German colony. Germany, Germany had colonies on both sides of Africa at the time. White people just had to have their hands at everything. They sure did. Mm-hmm. Cameroon is in West Central Africa, by the way. He told a German writer, Willie Lay, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, uh, L-E-Y, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who was, Willie Lay was one of the earliest writers in what we now call cryptozoology. But hmm. he, he wrote about it in the 1930s Ooh. and 40s and 50s. Some of the stories, uh, I'm sorry, von Stein Zulausnitz told Willie Lay some of the stories he had come across while he was exploring around Africa. And he said one was a giant reptile-like creature called the Michele Bebembe that lived in the rainforest. He told Lay that the story had come from several sources, and all of them apparently described the same creature. So here's von Stein's, I'm just calling, you know, I'm going to call him uh, Ludwig. Here's Ludwig's description to Willie Lay that Willie Lay wrote in his 1959 book, Exotic Zoology. Quote, the animal is said to be of a brownish gray color with a smooth skin. Its size is approximately that of an elephant, at least that of a hippopotamus. It is said to have a long and very flexible neck and only one tooth, but a very long one. 
Some say it's a horn. <laughs> A few spoke about a long, muscular tail like that of an alligator. Canoes coming near it are said to be doomed. The animal is said to attack the vessels at once and kill the crews, but without eating the bodies. Just a dick. Just a dick. It's hard to eat bodies with one tooth. Well, presumably had other teeth. It uh, could have been a horn. He was clear about that. I'm continuing the quote. The creature is said to live in the caves that have been washed out by the river in the clay of its shores at sharp bends. It is said to climb the shores even at daytime in search of food. Its diet is said to be entirely vegetable. The preferred food is a kind of liana with large white blossoms with a milky sap and apple-like fruits. At the Sasambo River, I was shown a path said to have been made by the animal in order to get at its food. The path was fresh, but since there were too many tracks of elephants, hippos, and other large mammals, it was impossible to make out, make out a particular spore with any amount of certainty. So he said he saw a path and heard many stories of this sauropod dinosaur-like creature. But Long not, neck, big tail. But not quite as large as Nowhere near as large think, as yeah. you would think, no. This seeming dinosaur is also mentioned by Alfred Aloysius Smith. Say it. Great name. It's an amazing, fantastic name. name. That's a great name. An English, he was an English trader, and he was working in Africa in the late 19th century. He was in Gabon, what's now Gabon, south of the Cameroon. He heard something called the Jagonin, or giant diver. He said, quote, it comes out of the water and devours people. There's also something called the Amali that Smith felt was the same beast. He said the Amali left footprints he had seen himself that were, quote, about the size of a good frying pan in circumference and three claws instead of five. What? Huh? A good frying pan? Yeah. Like, like think like giant elephant tracks. Kind of. Yeah. A quality stainless steel frying pan. Good Uh casting. Yeah. Okay. Casting is even better. Yeah. I don't know why. Mm. Are you a problem with that? How about good size frying pan? Does that make you feel better? That, that's fine, but I don't know why they can't use inches and feet. Good. You're just going to pick holes they like, on yeah. everything. They like flavor and yeah. description. Saying, accuracy. It's like a big-ass frying pan the size of big... Everybody knew what a big-ass frying pan size Stay was. You didn't need to be explained it inches. So we're not alleging that all these people are describing the same kind of animal. Well, these last ones seem like they are. But these. except these ones devour people. And yes, and the other one does not. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Good point. It gets that scarier the wider you get. Yes. Fact. The locals are just like, eh, they the hippos and shit. And it's like, oh, <laughs> no, remember the, the, the locals were terrified of that other one. Because they so. eat hippos. Well, I mean, if you eat hippos, you're going to eat people. Cause true. Hip, well, hippos true. don't eat people, but they will kill people. Yes, they do will. They, they do. People? They don't no. eat them, no, but they will kill them. Yeah, I don't think they eat people. A lot. In fact, right? Hippos kill more people than anything mm-hmm. in Africa. Dicks, yeah. Not here just, in America. They're not. just angry all the time. Yeah, they rarely mm-hmm. kill people in the United States. Rarely. Rarely. Once or twice. We stay away from them. Uh, there was kind of a lull in these dinosaur tales throughout the rest of the 20th century, and the, whole, the mid-20th century. Once in a while, some Euro would come back with a story of something that had kind of a long neck, and it couldn't explain what it was. But otherwise, it wasn't a whole lot going on. Then, however, the father of cryptozoology, Bernard Hivelmans. <laughs> he sure does make a lot of he appearances does. in our podcast. <laughs> he took up the cause. <laughs> Studying and advocating he, for the existence of an African dinosaur in the 1950s, and in 1978, sorry, he released a book called Les Dernières Dragons d'Afrique, which, as you know, <laughs> means the last dragons, the last African dragons. That's what I was going to say. Well, I knew you knew that. So mm-hmm. I just Sounds like a great band name. That would be a very yeah, band name. Yeah, it does. Yeah, the last African dragons. Yeah. Be careful if you're white. Maybe yeah, not, maybe no, do that. Not, you can't mm-hmm. do that if you're yeah. white. Yeah. 
probably probably not a good call. If your name's like Trevor, stay back. <laughs> Here's, I'm Trevor. This is Noah. This is our Let's drummer, go. Sebastian. One, two, three. The cover of his book shows this long neck sauropod in the rainforest being fed <laughs> these apple-like fruits by a native female, looking all sexy and not. And there's a long neck sauropod in the rainforest. I'm sorry. She's feeding the, the, this long neck sauropod. There's also a gigantic snake almost surrounding her, kind of, but not seemingly threatening her, like just hanging out. And Vibin. hovering above her is a pterodactyl. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. I'm not at all sure what the message was. I'm going to give him Bernard the benefit of the doubt and say the publisher came up with that one and just said, make it crazy. we got to sell this shit. So what exactly is a Makilba Bembe? Let's just kind of recap. If you've noticed, the accounts differ, but generally speaking, it's big. It's... At least in more modern times, it's got up to more like 30 feet long. Oh. Which, so note that. It has a long neck and kind of that long muscular tail. The general build has really become more like a classic sauropod. Think, you know, Apatosaurus or Dipl- Diplodocus, only miniaturized, relative to those guys anyway. Right. Some speak of that single horn on his head, or maybe tusk or teeth, and that it kills elephants. It's been said to kill hippos as well. It certainly lives in or near water. Always it is consistently in or near water, which, by the way, is like we used to think sauropods lived. We, we now know better. Others say it, it, it builds these caverns or tunnels in the sides of, of lakes and rivers. Whatever the specifics are, though, the Melchelma Bembe is very clearly some kind of a living dinosaur in Africa, and it's alive right now as we Speak. When was the last sighting? Of well, one? let's talk about some modern account- encounters. Well, okay. All right. Wait, are they saying there's just one? No, of course not. This going to oh. be a breeding population. So they think there's like a pocket of of like dinosaurs out there? Uh-huh. At least one, you know, a herd. set of them. At least a herd. I don't know if herds not a herd. They're, they've never been seen more than one at a time, so let's not go with herds. But <clears> there'd <throat> have to be more than one. It's yeah. like Loch Ness Monster. There's always, there's, there's got to be a breeding population. So... Obviously, if people think there's dinosaurs out there, someone's going to go looking for them, right? Yes. Numerous expeditions in relatively modern times have gone into the middle of the African rainforest looking for the Michele Bembe. You might not have heard of them. I have, because I like this <laughs> shit and have for a long time. The hunting grounds are just kind of the vast, often impenetrable, swampy rainforest areas of Central Africa, such as the Lakula region, that's in, the, in Congo, the country of the Congo, not the... Zaire, which is also called Congo because they are dicks to each other and they have two countries called Congo just to confuse us. Like Georgia. Why are they going to be state in well, the that's country? Well, e- that's easier to tell apart. These are right next to each other. <laughs> okay, a little bit more confusing, <laughs> but also inconvenient. Yes, it uh, is. We've got Virginia and West Virginia. That's easy. That's very... Well, you can North, not Dakota tell North and South Dakota. South Dakota. <laughs> that's actually <laughs> quite simple. If they just call East Congo and West Congo, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But they don't. They're both Congo. It's just not. And, and, and the, the big one used to be called Zaire. Just stick with Zaire. It's a cool name. Yeah, that is a cool name. Damn it. There. Fuck. I've solved it. Hmm. So well, anyway. Big the, Congo, little Congo. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'd that. <laughs> Old Congo, new Congo? Mm, not going to work. The, the cooler region is about 80% unexplored. It's 66,000 square kilometers. That's 25,000 square miles. That's about the size of Sri Lanka or West Virginia, as you just mentioned. So that's, that's mm. almost completely... I think if West Virginia was mostly unexplored and was kind of swampy rainforest I wish. type terrain. Wait. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> unexplored by anybody or... No, I mean, I by mean, 
by of course. No, when people course. say I'm poor, they mean white people. Yeah. There's no okay. Columbus. So people live yet. there. Of course. Okay. Of course. Okay. This is from the white people lens. Yes. So if white people weren't there, then it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> what? We haven't explored it, mapped it. It doesn't really There's count. tons of people living there though. <laughs> They've been there for a really long time. Yes. But we have not met them and right. mapped them and sold them Starbucks or Wendy's, so it's unexplored. Okay. The larger Congo River Basin as a whole is 1.5 square, 1.5 million square miles. That's about half the size of the contiguous United States. That's not all completely unexplored, but still, it's a vast, vast area that's been little explored by Westerners and mapped and such like. So for that's a dinosaur, okay. prime real estate. Prime yeah. real estate. That's where they want to be. <laughs> The explorations of Roy Mackle have drawn the most attention, as I don't need to tell you guys. Yeah, of course. Okay. You've heard, you heard, no? He's the former <laughs> University of Chicago no. biology professor and longtime Loch Ness researcher Ooh. and searcher. Oh. He started out doing Loch Ness in the 60s and 70s, and he didn't decided find it. Out. And he decided to branch out to Africa and look for the Makele Mbembe there. So he goes in the Lakula swamps and with a University of Arizona ecologist and cryptozoologist named Richard Greenwell, as well as a biologist from Congo named Marceline Agnagna. No <laughs> idea if I, I, I phonetized that. I'm sure he's right on. The first expedition that they went on was in 1980, and it found really nothing more than sort of local legends, right? Wow. They, the, the legends they gathered spoke of this large creature in the waters of the vast swamp, that, that, that it lived in the water, right? Yeah. In 19, so they went back in 1981, and they also failed to find a dinosaur. But they did <laughs> bring back more supposedly firsthand stories of encounters with the creature. Mackle felt the stories were very consistent, and he thought they were describing a, a long neck sauropod-like dinosaur surviving in the swamps of Africa. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. We're up to the 80s. Yes. Has no one ever managed to get a snapshot? Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll okay. talk about that in a minute. Not even a Polaroid. But no. Is this is it, by this time absolutely not? Hmm. No picture. We already. No. I mean, they, we have some bigfoot footage right now, <laughs> and he's barely been on the scene to like yeah. catch up, Makale Mbembe. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. You need to be a little more photogenic. Makale. Video killed the radio star. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> it tracks. So coincidentally or not, Mackle and company also brought back stories of three other possible living dinosaurs in this part of Central Africa. So not just the Makele Mbembe. They also uh, found stories of the Emila Ntuka. That was said to be something like a Centrosaurus, which is about an 18-foot, 5.5-meter, Triceratops, but only has oh. one run horn. One horn. So it's a Uniceratops. A unitops. <laughs> so, but they, they found stories about that that they thought were true. They also found stories of the Mbilu Mbilu Mbilu. Mm. They liked it so much, they named it thrice. Mm-hmm. And that looked a bit like a Kentrosaurus, which was a kind of Stegosaurus. And it was said to be about 15 feet, four and a half meters long. Finally, they've heard stories of the Mguma Monene. And that was something like a giant lizard or possibly a giant snake. So they brought back not just the Mokele Mbembe, but the Mbilu Mbilu Mbilu, the Emela Ntuka, and the Mguma Monene. And I am nailing everyone else's pronunciation. You must have been practicing. No, I haven't, actually. <laughs> and I didn't look any of them up, so I'm hoping that's that's right. Oh, you know, I didn't do didn't do on YouTube and, and type How to in pronounce. Nguma Monene. So Malcolm wrote about his adventures in 1987 with a book called A Living Dinosaur? Question mark, in search of Mokele Mbembe, which 
if you've noticed, that makes that two sentences in a title, and that's kind of greedy, Roy. Yeah. That's not okay. Punctuation. Mm. Yeah, you don't do a Cut question it out. mark. Cut it out. Title. It's a title and a subtitle. Ah, I don't mm, know. wrote the foreword for Roy. In 1992, you're talking about a picture. You ready? Yep. Japanese television crew. Leave it to the Japanese. Yep. Yeah. They went in there into the Lake Tele region. That's also in Central Africa. It's also the middle of a, a very large rainforest. They were able to get an aerial shot from a helicopter. Let's that, go. Oh, that was smart. It's very smart. Drone shot, bitches. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. They, it, so, it showed something parting the waters of the lake as it went through the middle of the lake and leaving a little bit of a low wake behind it. Ooh. This is often cited as the best evidence of a Michele Mbembe. It's the only video of what has been said to be a Michele Mbembe. Or a big fish. Or, yeah, or, it doesn't frankly, sound very clear. The video mm-hmm. is, it shows something crossing the lake, right? But it's from a tremendous distance. They, they weren't right on top of the water. Yeah. And it's very undefined. You, you don't really see, I mean, you're not literally looking. It's not like the classic surgeon's photo of Loch Ness where it looks very much like a neck and a head of a dinosaur, which of course we now know is faked. But it, it's something alive, it's something real, it's something clearly moving. And but, I mean, is that a swimming Mokila Mbembe with his neck out, a la Nessie? Maybe. Was it a crocodile? Maybe. Was it an elephant swimming across the lake with just his trunk out of the water? Ooh. Which they do. Before you'd laugh, though, some people have actually shown videos. Some of Mokela Bembe believers have shown videos of what is pretty clearly an elephant's trunk and said, look, boom, dinosaur, <laughs> done. <laughs> So Some googly eyes take to the top of a death or an elephant's trunk. <laughs> elephant sat still. The wild elephant had no problem doing it. Or far more likely was it what the locals told them it was, which was two men in a canoe, the one in front standing up to pull the canoe across the lake. He said, yeah, we do that every day. Yeah. Just calm down, Japanese film crew. <laughs> so you be the judge. No one knows. And it's, it's right now to this day, it's, it's like I said, almost always cited as the, the best photographic evidence of Mokele Mbembe. Well, what do you mean? No one knows. The locals know. They, they're they're, they're pretty sure. We're not going to listen to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you not? Do you know us? Uh, oh, that's Greg. Oh, yeah. White men? <laughs> in his fucking canoe. That's cool. <laughs> hey, hi. What's up? Folks are still looking today. In 2012, a guy named Stephen McCola. He was literally some guy from Missouri with no scientific training, no zoological background, no experience going anywhere outside of the Ozarks, no you know, foreign expedition experience whatsoever. He just heard about it, and he said, I want to go find that, wow. literally. He's so, got gumption. I, yeah. I do. I No, I like his gumption. Can't so blame it's, him. It's 2012. What do you, what do, you do? What's different now? Hey, that the, wasn't. The world's going to end. Nope, it wasn't that. Oh, mm. What's different in 2012 that wasn't around like the 80s? GoPros. Uh, nope, you're getting internet. a little warmer. The well, internet. Yeah. So he went on Kickstarter. Yes. And described his, his desire, his mission, and he said, I need $27,000 to do this. Wow. He got that and then some. Thank you, America. Well, a real recognizes real. Yeah. In his description, he figured it wasn't going to be that hard. Quote, Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily expect to find concrete evidence of Mokele Mbembe on the first expedition, but we believe there's a good chance during that initial three months that we will find hard evidence of his presence in the area if it is there. So he's basically saying, give us three months in Africa, pay for it, we're going to find you some strong evidence of Mokele Mbembe. We might not bring back a body, but we'll prove it. A few months later, they returned from Africa lacking any evidence whatsoever of the Mokele Mbembe, whether it was concrete or otherwise, but they were successful in one thing, and that was spending all of the $30,000 that the Kickstarter campaign got them. Well, Hell yeah, so, sure. You know, again, gumption, Stephen. Good job, yeah. buddy. 
Hopefully, I, I say we find another one. I say let's double it, $60,000. <laughs> Six months. You're sh- twice as likely to find the Mbembe by your logic. So what is the likelihood of there being this kind of living dinosaur? 100%. <laughs> uh, it, it would have to be this remnant population, a breedable population that survived whatever killed uh, the meteor that killed every other dinosaur and it would have to have been breeding for these last 65 million years. Doomsday prepper. Maybe. Is a, is a dinosaur doomsday prepper? That were prepared for whatever it was that killed them. <laughs> they got it right. Yeah. And then uh, th- these are their ancestors. Okay. And it's, and it's done that in a way. It's held on to the present without being captured or killed or collected. They were this prepared. Entire time. Hmm. The description of, of the Michele Mbembe living in the water and being kind of, you know, fat and sauropod with the long tail and more importantly, the long neck that it raised out. It would sit in the water and raise its neck out and eat those, those fruits, those apple-like fruits. And, the, and plants on the river's edge. That's actually a, a completely outdated notion of how sauropod dinosaurs live. That was what people thought up until semi-recent times. Paleontologists maybe have known that's not true for a couple few decades. When did you realize that was bullshit, that sauropods don't, don't live like that? Today. Oh, I did okay, not then. know that they lived in the water. They, they do not know that they don't live like that old kind of way of, of being in swamps and living in the water and hanging out there. I they mean, absolutely, they did not live like that. They lived on land. They lived in herds. They were actually fairly fast moving, especially for their were weight. Were they on Jurassic Park? Um, it was a little better. It was a little, yes, they had them a little closer to reality in yeah. Jurassic Park. So scientists See. knew by the 80s and even the 70s, I think, but most people did not. So they, and so the descriptions back in the 1909 and 1911, oh, yeah. 1913, yeah. and on into the 80s by these amateurs, they described a dinosaur that never really existed. And, but it was an anachronism from the way we used to think these kinds of dinosaurs lived. Well, sure, but... Could they not adapt to their current environment? They could have, but it's it's suspicious yes. that the thing they're des- describing is how, when they were first what described, we is think. what we yeah. thought they lived. It would have been much more would have been much more impressive if they said, "No, these were on land. Oh, they're shit. pretty fast." But also, by the way, those large sauropods they couldn't actually lift their neck that high. They never could. So they were actually more grazers. They weren't sitting in the water and lifting the neck way high like giraffes, kind of to crane up there and get a high huh. fruit and whatnot. Then why were the necks so long? You'd think long necks would be so they could do what giraffes do, right? Yes, you, would, you might think that, but they weren't. Hmm. Fighting. Impress the ladies. 100% of my dinosaur knowledge comes from children's books. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I have to read at work, so it might the be... The Land Before old. Time. Yeah, <laughs> slightly outdated. <laughs> not accurate. But they for sure do not hang out in swamps half-submerged all the time, like we used to think, and like the first descriptions, in fact, even the semi-current descriptions of Mokele and Bembe have them. I don't really know how we know anything about dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? I'm not kidding. Okay. We just looked at a bunch of bones that we found yeah. on the ground and was like, you know... I mean, honestly, I don't believe any of it. No, you think it's all bullshit. Dinosaurs didn't exist. Those no, Carrie calls made those bullshit up. on dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, you're calling bullshit on everything. The hottest take, Carrie. I love I it. I believe they probably existed, but you know, probably. Do you? What, probably. One day you're they have scaly wow. skin, and then the next day they had feathers, and then the next day they it, didn't. It wasn't a day later. Learning, no, no, it wasn't a day. Let me... <laughs> Correct that misapprehension I that also, only you have. I found, turns out, either Brontosaurus or Diplodocus does not exist. One of them. Brontosaurus is really the Apatosaurus. Exactly. Okay, that's so it, what it was. Okay. The animal exists, but it was. It was named, a baby version of it? No, something? it was named the Apatosaurus 
And it was, that was kind of forgotten, and they found bones, and they named that the brontosaurus, and then later they found out, oh, wait, that was the same animal who gets named first, takes precedence, so brontosaurus goes away, apatosaurus retakes. It's the same animal. It's just they shouldn't have uh, tried to rename it. But then I heard something about Diplodocus actually Diplo- being Diplodocus. like a young... Di- well, that's how children are my works <laughs> so that's how I pronounce it. <laughs> okay, you should, you should do that. I like yum-yum. My tum-tum hurt. Okay, talk so, like that. They're just actually the baby versions of it. No, that's not true. Oh, okay. You know why? Because your children are stupid. No, that was just a video about dinosaurs. Okay, okay. Uh, they found new fo- new fossil evidence. Oh, okay. And again, you. Really, but then there's still. But again, I want to be clear. You're hearing this from the kids. No, were, it was okay. still like controversy between some science. Some scientists say no, they're just it is separate species. Some scientists say no, oh. they're similar. I, you know, I don't know for a fact, but that, the whole brontosaurus apatosaurus uh, thing, I'm pretty sure of. Oh. The other stuff I'm not so sure. Look at Carrie's like, oh, oh so maybe they <laughs> oh, don't okay. exist. Your story's getting pretty fishy here. <laughs> hmm. Meteor. Oh, I don't think yeah. so. I'm skeptical. Honestly, I'm skeptical about all of it. You're scaring I me. I love it. Right Why? Because we know dinosaurs existed. Let's take that up another time. <laughs> uh, She's like, I don't know. It all could be a dream. We could be completely wrong. No, no. No. You Not don't about know. The base. Yeah, I do know. God could be real. <laughs> you can say that about anything. I know I can't. Oh, my God. And that's why people think COVID is a hoax. <laughs> no, it is isn't. this kind of thinking that leads to that. Oh, it absolutely is. We're talking about something that existed millions and millions of years ago that... No, but we... We, we really don't have any way to confirm what we think we know. We'll, we confirmed that they existed, but that yes. beyond yes. anything else, we is yeah. Just kind of it's ever in terms of their behavior and things like that. That's changing, absolutely. I, I know, like that's it did, but my still, point. I'm saying the basics. That you're making me sound like a wacko. Because really you're sounding not. like a wacko. No, I'm not. Yeah, a little bit. You just, just said like, a minute ago they probably existed. <laughs> that's just the peppering of probably in there. <laughs> Don't say the word like probably. We would not notice. <laughs> we noticed, and that 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 yeah. is why you sound like a wacko. That's not you. Like, what if I said I'll probably wake up tomorrow? <laughs> that sounds creepy. There's a chance, but I won't. Oh my so God. okay, Carrie. <laughs> We're gonna, you know, this is you, you're out of the podcast now. Uh, so, what kind of dinosaur could this be? If it is indeed a dinosaur, the horn, the claws, the size—none none of it points to anything we know about in the dinosaur fossil record that Gary thinks is not a thing. Uh, um, remember, it was first described as being about as big as a hippo or elephant. It's not that big. That's right. Hippos get maybe yeah. 16 feet long at the most. Elephants get maybe 13 feet long at the most. They're, they're much taller than, than hippos, of course. And that's not that big. It's certainly for a dinosaur, for a sauropod dinosaur, would be puny. The, the smallest sauropod dinosaur found today was about 50 feet, 15 meters long. Wow. So this would be a pygmy yeah. sauropod if it existed. Again, you're right. It could have evolved. It could have pygmatized, mm-hmm. but yeah. it would be odd. And we have no fossil record of it doing so. Where do these stories come from? Let's go back. The videos from Lake Tele of kind of that maybe seeing an elephant swimming or maybe uh, guys in a canoe, but they, they kind of suggest the possible origin for the supposed Michaela Mbembe encounters, at least one anyway, is that it's just sheer mistaken identity for actual real animals. I mean, everybody talks like the Sasquatch, People have seen bears and thought yeah. they're Sasquatches, and those are people who have backwoods experience or what have you. So local Africans can easily get things like that wrong. Everybody does everywhere. Oh, so Chupacabra is just a mangy yeah. coyote. It, it could have been a crocodile, could have been an elephant, could have been a snake, all kinds of things for, could describe yeah. something big. And how about the this penchant 
for the Michelobe Bambi to dig tunnels and live in, in these caves and tunnels in, this, in the riverbanks. Uh, some of the newer, the more recent expeditions have gone and seen some tunnel-like things. One of them actually went there and looked at a tunnel and uh, you know, said, a Michelobe Bambi could be in there right now. And that's about <laughs> it. They didn't try to go look for it. They didn't dig. They didn't, do, they didn't send a, a, a film, you know, a little camera in there snaking like they have done to the, the Egyptian pharaoh, the tombs. Nothing. Just might be there. Okay, wrap it up. Let's go. Let's go. We got to get back to the States. So, and some have even said, oh, yeah, they go in there and they like hibernate to the whole dry season. The whole, the whole part about them living in these caves sounds super suspiciously like a way to get them to exist, but excuse them for not being seen every goddamn day. Yeah. Because remember, the original report said they'd come out on land to go look for their food during even the daytime, but yet we have never had a, a verifiable account of them and never had a picture, et cetera, of, of them. So, the river tunnel behavior sounds extremely made up and suspicious because it's so convenient. Yeah. That's just my take anyway. In fact, one uh, American adventurer in the 70s was in Africa, and he was kind of poking around with the Bukele Bembe, and he pointed to some caves in the river bank there, right? And he asked the locals, what made those? And they said, hippo. <laughs> or they had the African word, the local dialect word for hippo, right? And he thought that must be also the word for dinosaur because hippos like dinosaurs are large water inhabiting creatures. That's how So they can only have one word. A heaping heaping helping of paternalism yeah. is very common actually in the monster hunting world, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's is convenient. It's yeah. too convenient to, to be, I think. Others seemingly evidentiary finds have just been mistakes. Like Roy Mackle, he found these ancient African rock art right? And he said, look at these long neck mm-hmm. things. Those must be depicting ancient versions, you know, from uh, thousands of years ago of uh, Mokele Mbembe's. Look, they were drawn in the Mokele Mbembe with this long neck. They're in Africa. Hmm. Yeah, what else might those pictures have Giraffes, been? bitch. Giraffes. That's right, Roy. I was like, Roy. Really? I was going to make it sound f- real dumb if they're like in fucking Asia. <laughs> Wait, where are we again? Yeah. In fact, as it turns out, they were indeed pictures of giraffes. So that's mm-hmm. just stupidity. Mackle also cited the Sarush drawn on the Ishtar Gate in Babylonia, from what was Babylonia, that was built by Nebuchadnezzar back in 575 BC. I'm sure you're familiar with the Ishtar Gate. Mm, I've seen the movie Ishtar. Okay. That's, you know what? That's not bad. That's pretty close. <laughs> this is a gate in, from Babylonia, as I mentioned, and it has three animals drawn multiple times, a lion, bull, and a mushrush. The mushrush was a dragon-like creature. And so some have said that since lions and bulls are real... These mushrushes must have also been real. Case closed, wipe your hands, do the little Vegas flip. That's, that's true, because just because there's cats in Harry Potter, and there's hippogriffs, <laughs> hippogriffs are hippogriffs also real. Yeah. must be real. So not only is this a logically lame argument, but the mushrush, in fact, looks absolutely nothing like the Mbembe. It looks like a, it's not even that, all that dragon-like. I've, I've seen, maybe we'll do a picture, put a picture of it. But it's sort of, I don't know, it's got four legs, it's on four legs, it's, it's, its neck isn't particularly long. It looks sort of like a small dragon, I guess, sort of. And also, by the way, anybody noticed that Babylonia was a long way from Central Africa, so I'm not sure how they knew about the Mokilabembe to draw it on their gate. Yeah, what does that have anything yeah. to do with the Mokilabembe? Nothing whatsoever. But Roy Mackle and others like him have said, well, I don't know, that looks kind of like a dinosaur-ish so, and it must be real because the lions and bulls, therefore, Makele Mabembe is real. Running right over 24 mm. steps to go to that and ignoring any 
logic whatsoever. That's fun. It is fun. It's like a fun, it yeah, is. I like that. That's, the, that's the, the core of, you know, sort of the supernatural writing is to do things like that, is to make these ludicrous connections with, you know, a complete lack of logic, but you, you have this little kernel of, oh, good point. God, I hadn't thought about that. That does look like a dinosaur. Hmm, okay. So are there actual mythological or oral traditions and antecedents of the Makilimbembe in Africa? As we talked about in the relation to Bigfoot, well, of course there are. There are myths and legends you can point to and say, that sounds a little bit like what we think of this Makelebebembe must look like. So, yeah, look, there are. I mean, every culture has its menagerie of imaginary beasts, right? Remember Roy Mackle went... That sounds like a book title. It does. I, I made it up. Remember Roy Mackle went searching for the Makelebebembe, and he brought back three more giant beasts in addition to it. So, yeah. And are we saying all those things are alive? Well, maybe some people are. The more modern accounts, starting in the early 20th century, were all, pretty much always, they're based on that one of those, you know, someone told someone who heard about it from someone else who then, and that person finally, you know, wrote a letter to, or or told someone who then wrote it up. So it's always, you know, a person I knew, or or something like that, or someone told me. That's exactly exactly how myths are made. That's how Mm -hmm. they're born and they take shape and they live on. That's how we get Elvis being alive. Our COVID-19 was a plot by the Chinese and Bill Gates. I mean, it's the same method for any nonsense story to be made real. That's how how mythological creatures are invented. And all, all of the stories were some version of that. In the early days, and frankly, they still are. When Americans like Mackle started going to the Congo in the 1980s, what they did was they figured they'd quiz the locals, right? So what? they brought books or, or flashcards with dinosaur pictures on them into the jungle with them, right? And they'd uh-huh. basically just point to those, point to like a brontosaurus, an apatosaurus, and say, you ever see one of those? And then... Look familiar? You know, have you seen one? Do you know one? Uh, you know, you don't... Anyone who has seen one, are they nearby? We'd love to find one. So, uh, Mackle, in fact, Mackle's living stegosaurus, the Mbilu, 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 that came from a single guy in, in, in Congo, one Congolese man who was looking at one of Mackle's books of dinosaurs, and he said, um, Oh, look, that dinosaur right there, that looks something like this creature I heard about. It's called the Mbilu, Mbilu, Mbilu. Uh, that's it. That, that, so Mackle hears that, and voila, he's got this living dinosaur creature. He didn't even say it's alive. He just said it's a creature that we have. He said, like, I, I've seen one of those. Huh. I've seen something that looks like that. Was he lying? Was he messing with Mackle? I was going to say, yeah. Or, or, or was it something a little more mercenary, a little more human nature? Because the other thing these intrepid searchers brought with them into the jungle was money. Yeah. Money for equipment money for guides, money for stories. Soon there was kind of this little cottage industry helping monster hunters hunt monsters. So, so the smart answer to, hey, you ever seen something, one of those things? Yeah. Would be, yeah, and I can rent you a canoe, I can guide you, yeah. I can... Uh, just make up some word that means pee pee poo 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 poo. Well, my uncle, he saw one when he was a kid. We'll go, I'll go take you to him and talk to him. And the uncle's going to tell him a nice little story that they've already cooked up between them. This has been going on for a long time. Yeah. This technique continues into current times. The television show Monster Quest, it used exactly this technique in 2009 Expedition, which was headed by an evangelist named William Gibbons. And they 
they're on film. You can see them. They're showing these pictures to locals, these pictures of dinosaurs to locals. And uh, Gibbons has done the same thing in two other expeditions he's led. On one of these, he kind of maybe inadvertently revealed what was going on. So it's 2001. Gibbons and crew are in a small town in the jungles of Cameroon. And one of the locals says, there, these must be the people looking for the dinosaur. And, and he, so he related that. And, um, you know, he, he is almost a little guileless in that, yeah, Bill, shouldn't that give you a hint that what's happening here? So in 2003, though, he goes back. And again, he's in the outlands of Cameroon. And he's among these very primitive people who have never even seen a Westerner in his mind. And a villager presented himself to Gibbons and, and, and his little his group of people there. And he pointed to their picture of the Podicus and said the word Brontosaurus, right? Gibbons was flabbergasted. He's like, what? How could this guy know that word? This is crazy. This is the, this is the deepest, darkest Africa. They later found out that guy had seen and heard about that word on TV. <laughs> because it's the 20th century, you shithead. Yeah. And that other dude had just been here like through last year for fucking river monsters. Like, yeah. you've been on TV before, dude. He knew how he knew what action meant. So uh, today, Michaela Bibembe hunting is kind of a, it's kind of a pay for play tourist cottage industry. In, in Central Africa and in those parts like Lake Tile and Lake Benguele where they go back all the, all the time. Officials in the villages of Lakula and around Lake Tile demand fees for access. They uh, have fees for guides. They have all, out, people are outfitters for these expeditions. All of this is fed by folks willing to point to a picture of dinosaur and say, hey, I've seen one. My uncle's seen one. My grandfather's seen one of those. So it's that common that people are going yes. there. Common enough where they've them. learned if anybody comes in here with a book with dinosaurs, Sheesh. yes, they've seen one. And, and you, yet, you can make money from it. And them. yet, no Nobody's gotten a picture yep. of it. My uncle's a guide, and my wife can do your hair and makeup. It's amazing. Let's go. Let's go find this dinosaur. Sometimes it gets kind of ugly. So in that 1992 Japanese expedition that found that made the videotape of the men in the canoe, yeah, they were they were in the, the village of Boha, and they were actually more or less um, held hostage until oh. they can come up with a twelve thousand dollar access fee. Wow! Uh, and which they did. Had a, had a wire for funds. I mean, you know, you might do the same. Yeah. These guys got cash. In 1989, a British travel writer was visiting Boha, and he was speaking to the son of a village elder about the supposed sighting of Michaela Bebembe, remember by the, the local, the Congolese zoologist named Marceline Agnagna. Remember mm-hmm. that? He was asking about that. He asked them, uh, why had Marceline sworn to seeing a dinosaur? Why do you suppose that was true? And the, uh, village, the villager said, don't you know? It's, the, it's to bring idiots like you here and make a lot of money. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was giving up too much. Yeah, he probably mm-hmm. didn't give up too much. But he told the truth. He was yeah. sick of it. So if you go back to the beginning, in the late 1800s, people don't realize there was a major, major, major dinosaur hysteria. We're going to call it dinosteria, trademarked Fuck yeah. just now. <laughs> the the T Rex had been found. Some of the big, long neck, massive beasts like the Brontosaurus slash Apatosaurus, or even the the bigger Diplodocus, were found. Paleontologists were starting to present their skeletons in museums and exhibi- exhibitions. In 1905, there were, there were exhibitions in New York and London, and they were the toast of the town. So there was a, a pretty a, a major dinosaur hysteria at this time. So it's possible, if not likely, that this is what ignited that first kind of flurry that started really in 1909 with, um, what's his name, Hagenbeck, 
uh, they were sort of feeding off of this or even taking advantage of it. And they first saw the Hagenbeck stories who had them in Zimbabwe and Zambia, but then they quickly migrated north to much swampier, less explored lands where it could be a little more plausible. plausible. So the dinosaur. A huge dinosaur existed sure. without being you know, seen every day, yeah. discovered. Um, and partly this is racism, though, too, and stupidity, because there's this, this idea that Africa was unchanged, especially Central Africa, that it was the exact same as it was millions and millions of years ago when the dinosaurs lived. This is, of course, nonsense. They'd had, I mean, they had continental yeah. drift, for God's sake. Uh, in fact, as recently as the Ice Age, which now, what is now the huge rainforest of Central Africa were mostly savanna, you know, presumably not hospitable to how they describe this water-living Bembe. Yeah which again would have to live through the ice age and then some. Well, they could have migrated. I suppose they could have. You got to answer for everything, I but then again it. you don't think dinosaurs exist. Well, so. I mean the greatest answer for it all was they were never even there. <laughs> probably. <laughs> COVID-19 probably kills you, but hydrochloroquine probably saves your life. This combination of a uh, a wrong impression of Africa just physically, and this dinosaur hysteria, again, dinosteria, of the early 1900s kind of created this, this little interactive effect, and it gave rise to these, this hysteria or, or this tremendous interest. And in fact, and later would give Sherlock Holmes, author Aiken and Doyle, would write a book and publish in 1912 called The Lost World, which had surviving dinosaurs. He put it in South America because he knew that continent better than Africa. And then in 1918, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote... No clue. The Jurassic land that time Park. forgot. Oh. Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> before times. Wow. wow. We're absolutely keeping that in. Littlefoot. No, he did not write. Oh, yeah. that, was, that was decades later by Michael Crichton. Uh, he wrote it, and that was also about living dinosaurs, or it had living dinosaurs in it. And it almost became a little bit of a subgenre that many years later uh, Dan Brown would take advantage of because people often confuse fiction for fact. So I'm not saying people believed in the dinosaur. Uh, because of you know Aiken and Doyle, but certainly it helped feed this idea that yeah maybe there's dinosaurs out there in Africa and they're living right now. I don't know. Anyway, that's that's very likely kind of its origin story. Today, sadly and ironically, the vast bulk of the effort to prove the existence of Michaela Bembe is and uh, even actually other prehistoric animals as well is fueled by creationists. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oddly enough, this might seem weird. I mean, why do they care? There's no mention of a T-Rex or any, any other dinosaur or Noah's Ark, right? And um, that's pretty much the, the, the beginning of life for the creationists. That's 6,000 years ago. Uh, so it seems odd that, I mean, I, I, you think that dinosaurs being what they were, they're big enough to have been mentioned in the Bible, maybe, if they were around at the time. Well, they certainly would have been on Noah's Ark, right? Uh, maybe they're too big. They didn't make the cut. They no, were, just have to make a bigger arc. I suppose. I suppose. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think God would want him to exclude that God's creature, right? I suppose. You, if you're wondering why, though, why have they taken this cause so vociferously? It's because that they think that if they can prove that creatures that science thinks no longer exist exist, they think that proves that evolutionary theory is wrong. Like I say. Pardon? <laughs> Just kidding. Like what? Like I say. Oh yeah. How do they really know? They don't. They're skeptical. You, like I, mean, I am. You're probably wa you're probably <laughs> waiting for the end of that sentence. That doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Yeah, that is logical. They're just dumb. It, yeah, it's it's nonsense. But logic's uh, not like something they use a lot, so I don't blame no. them. A writer named Darren Nash wrote. 
quote, a sauropod or pterosaur that has survived to the present day would demonstrate nothing of the sort, of course. Right. It would just be a member of a lineage that has survived longer than we had previously thought. Mm-hmm. Again, science, it, that's, if you're conducting science, it's changeable. Here's a hi- hypothesis. You prove if it's right or not. You, you look at the evidence. The evidence says one thing. You go with that. If the evidence says that you're wrong and you change it, you change it. So, And these creationists, by the way, are, are the so-called young earthers. This belief in the earth being 6,000 years ago, that the earth is 6,000 years old because it says in the Bible is critical for them. Right. Sidebar, the Bible says nothing of the sort, but just FYI. That really? Was, that was made up centuries later. Oh. It was made up by a monk who counted all the people mentioned in the Old Testament and went backwards based on presumed average lifespans. And he came up with 6,000. Oh, you know, that's interesting. Methuselah begat blah, blah. And he right, Ezekiel yeah, begat yeah. whatever. He just counted back and said, okay, we're about 6,000 years old. And oh they said, God. boom, print it, go. Earth is 6,000 years old. People are fucking dumb. <laughs> you don't even know like where the basis of your dumb bullshit idea comes from. They probably from. know that, but they still want to make I, the Earth 6,000 years I think years you old. are putting too much faith <laughs> in I think you are too. idiots. Some know it. How's that? Like three. A and few. they're like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> but I'll bet you just the, figured it out. The vast majority probably thinks it literally says in the Bible. Oh, yeah, they're well. like in page sixty-four. It says in the Bible, <laughs> it is six thousand years old. It's, no, it doesn't, bitch. The creationists have been trampling through the jungle for a while now, trying to prove the Michaelian myth and other things too. Again, because that would prove evolution isn't real. They've come up with nothing. But worse yet, they've kind of insinuated themselves into the mainstream of the field. And that's really, really dangerous because yeah. they're not. They're, they're proselytizers for the religion. They're not, you know, they have zero training or experience. They have absolutely no expertise whatsoever. And by definition, they aren't scientists because they're not trying to, to seek the truth. They're trying to prove their predisposition, their prejudice. Right. But are they um, building schools and churches while I, they're at no, it? No, they're not. And they're orphanages not. and they're trying actually to the, convert people? The, the person, remember the person I said who didn't send a camera down and look down the uh, the tunnel that he said, we might be standing over a Michaela Bimbe right now? Yes. Yeah, his excuse for it, people said, why didn't you go fucking look for it, dipshit? Yeah, was, oh, you know, we just can't afford expensive gear. You, you, only, you, you have to go with what you can afford. It's hard to move around the jungle. So that's why we didn't have, a, you know, a camera. Or shovels. Or a light. Just a pussy. That's what's nice up. Bitch, what he is. <laughs> this guy's the mm-hmm. William Gibbons, another guy named Kent Hovind. They're all just, they're, they're religious figures purely. I mean, they're literally televangelists or, or evangelists of some sort. That's all they are. Uh, but yet, uh, like that failed 2001 uh, BBC Discovery Channel documentary that, uh, that had Gibbons as the leader of the expedition, and they presented him as an impartial expert in the field. And really? That's, that's sickening. Huh. The, the 2009 Monster Crush show, same thing. William Gibbons was presented, and his cohorts, presented as impartial experts. They're, they're nothing of the sort. I, I mean, if cryptozoology is going to take itself seriously as a science, they need to get those people out of it because yeah. they're, they're, they're giving it a bad name. So I'm talking to you, cryptozoologist. So um, that's Where, our where's story. Where's Hovelmans? is dead. That's where <laughs> Oh, dang it. I'm not sure you believe oh, no. he exists. There's no junior to take... Take no, over for him? I don't think so. Reduce. I thought you know anyway. By the way, Gibbons, just as an aside, Gibbons also came back with stories of his creationist explorer, explorers came back with, they reported a Bigfoot-like creature in Africa that they saw. Of course. They reported giant spiders four or five feet high, and they saw a UFO. Oh, so well, they just these had are a grand our old time. So, shots in the dark. Miguel and Bembe, real or fake? Go, Aaron. Absolutely real. Why not? Fuck it. Carrie, 
I wait to see what your wacky answer is going to be. Fake. Never real in the first Fake. Place. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're not even here right now. You're not even talking to me. <laughs> this is all an imagination. We're all just ones and zeros in somebody's computer. <laughs> I think Carrie's taking peyote. Mm-hmm. So that's the story of the Michaela Bembe as it sits now. I'm sure people will continue looking. It's, it's you know, it, it, it's sad to say, but... People say the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And of course the absence of evidence is evidence of absence. If you, if you keep on looking for something with increasingly sophisticated tools and the areas where you're looking gets, gets more and more explored, at some point you do have to say that strong evidence, that thing we're looking for isn't there and probably never was. So I, I, that's one of my most, I hate that saying because absolutely. Yeah. If you don't find something, that's evidence that is not there. That's yeah, challenge to say otherwise. Evidence of apps because like you say somebody you're looking for somebody you go to their house and there's no, yeah. nothing there and all their shit's not there you're not gonna say they live there right bitch that's evidence of absence it's a way. legalistic term yeah you look and at it lawyers should not ever like <laughs> lawyers don't think like people should think they think like lawyers and it's a different way of thinking you're not not like a human yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's sort of hyper logical and hyper, but it's not, yes. it, it lacks common sense very often. Yeah. You well, were, on its face it's true, but it's not absolutely true in every single situation, it, in what? every single instance. What is, what are you talking about? Your whole evidence of uh, absence no, is on not face, absence it's not true, of evidence. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying the exact opposite of what you just said. I'm saying absence of evidence is evidence of absence. Depending on how you define evidence, which is what a lawyer would say, we're not going to do that. Yeah. So uh, you think it is true, and that they are a danger to humankind? Are you talking to me? Yes. No, I think they don't exist. Okay. I again, as with all these things, I would love it if they did. (laughs) I'd be. I I would gladly, proverbially, eat crow if. You came out with a video of one and brought it back with you. I, that would be the most amazing thing in the world. I want them to be, exist, but the plausibility of them existing is yeah. zero. That'd be cool. Sadly, unfortunately. I hate to end on a downer. The mm. downer is we don't have living dinosaurs, except, again, for birds, which Carrie doesn't believe either. Chickens which, are what, really And then cool. the next day they have feathers and they're birds. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Chickens are dinosaurs. That's crazy. Dinosaurs couldn't have been that delicious. Is Carrie's argument, right? No. Where can they find us, Carrie? Weird World Podcast at, uh, at gmail.com and on Facebook and Instagram and Patreon and Weird World Pod on Twitter. Thank Maybe. you. Shut <laughs> up. Okay, thank you. That's the story of the Michele Mbembe. We hope you enjoyed that. If you really, really believe that Michele Mbembe is true, write us, email us, tell us. I We'd just love wanted, to hear your argument. I, I, I just want to tell everybody, for probably the last 20 years, our kids have heard you saying Michele Mbembe. Oh, yeah, this, that was not <laughs> on a regular basis. That it is featured in my novel, Saving Monsters, which you can find right now on, on Amazon. Amazon, on mm-hmm. Kindle. Another plug. That's two plugs in the same show. Yeah. Damn. I'm getting sleazy. All right. <laughs> That's it. Well, it's a bargain price. It is. So it's All not right. asking much. No. <laughs> right now. Okay. Goodbye, okay. everybody. Bye. Bye.